0: Hi everyone. I am sitting here with Owen from Classic Classic Schmasic. It's kind of a mouthful. Um and Owen, you're in Belgium right now.
1: That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, and you are the co-host of a podcast called Classic Schmasic. We've already established that. And what is what is the conceit of that podcast?
1: Well, it's not entirely different to the conceit of your podcast really. It's uh, slightly more condensed. So we uh, pick a classic movie that generally neither myself or my co-host Chris have seen before. We talk about our expectations because most of these classic movies are so huge. You know, just take for example, say The Godfather. We've all seen uh, parodies of The Godfather in other movies, and there's even movies based on The Godfather in a way, like they have the like Mickey Blue Eyes is kind of riffing off of that and there's often movies where there's a character who's kind of trying to be marlon brando in the godfather so we just talk about these kind of what we call cultural osmosis where he absorbs these kind of conceits from culture and then we think we form a picture of what that movie might be so we talk about that and then we cut go and watch the movie and then record and, and but essentially talk about the movie it the 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 basis of it is under the guise of a review show because we have this classic or schmastic rating system, but it's not really a review show. It's a show that celebrates classic cinema.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, that's a good idea, especially, you know, we have so much content being generated right now and there's so much to watch currently going on that I think it's kind of getting lost that there's somewhere we came from.
1: Sorry, uh, I completely lost your audio there. I couldn't hear what you said.
0: Oh, no worries. Um, Yeah, I was saying that's a really good idea because we live in this culture that kind of has so much content to consume with whatever's on in the multiplex right now and whatever's on TV, plus you have your, your Netflix and the huge library there and all these other streaming services. And I think it's kind of hard. It's hard enough to keep caught up with those things. But it's even harder (laughs) to kind of remember where you came from.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing uh, about it is as well is I feel like there's so many podcasts out there that are um, looking at bad media and Mm -hmm. riffing off of that. And it is in a lot of ways easier to do because you can generate funny material from things that are bad. But I think there's enough of that and there's nothing wrong with that. And I really enjoy a lot of podcasts that do that. But I wanted to do something positive and try and put something a bit more positive into the world, albeit I'm probably the more skeptical one out of the two of us on the show. So I tend to be the one who doesn't <laughs> like the movies as much as, as Chris. But yeah, uh, and that was quite important for us, I think.
0: Right. So why was it classic movies? Why was it important to do classic movies specifically and not just, well, I kind of try to like everything. So we'll talk about the current stuff mm. and uh, talk about that in a positive light.
1: Yeah, again, I think it's because uh, I want to do something a little bit different. There's so many movie podcasts out there, but I love movies so much, I couldn't not do a movie podcast, I guess. But it occurred to me that I consider myself kind of a movie buff, and amongst a lot of my friends, they're like, oh, ask and he'll know. And I know a lot about movies, and I've seen a lot of movies. Um, but when it really comes down to it, I've got this huge gap in my uh you know my sort of mental library of a lot of these classic films because they're so steeped in culture and they're so well known that you almost don't have to have seen them because you kind of know what they're all about so when they come up in conversation you you can talk about these films because you know the the vacancy I also, you know, I read a lot of or used to read a lot of film mags and things like that. So you get all these references and you kind of come to know what they are. But, yeah, it's astounding when I really look through how few massive films I haven't seen.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's actually what started the before and after show. If you go through and look at our older episodes, we weren't doing current movies at the beginning. Um, It took 20 episodes before I did a movie that was in theaters. Yeah, And it was strictly because I saw a huge gap in my watch list as well. And I don't know. I don't know if you grew up uh, in the video store uh,
1: circuit. Oh, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I, I worked at two video stores. Um, okay. I don't know if you ever did. No. Oh, man. As a film buff, that was the best.
1: Yeah. But, that was the dream.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and... So even in that, you know, it was, it was always MJ know, we'll call him and see what's good that's out. Or we'll go to his store specifically so we can um, see what he recommends. But yeah, once I got around to the podcast, I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I knew I wanted to do a podcast about movies. But like you said, that's so saturated with movie podcasts that it was like, well, what's someone not talking about? And it was classic films. And so, or not even classic films, like the first episode we did was Fight Club. And yeah. I don't even think I. I mean, I don't know how classic, quote unquote, that is. Mm. Uh, I think it might be considered one in in time. But... I think it.
1: Yeah, I. I, agree. I think it probably will be. I mean, it, it. How many times do you hear a reference to the first rule of podcasting is you don't talk about podcasting? Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing.
0: Or when there's a movie that has that twist at the end where it's a split personality thing. It's called the yeah. Fight Club ending. Yeah. You know, and that was that was the big reason why we started with that, is I'm familiar with all this stuff, it's clearly permeated the culture, and I've never seen it, so let's go back and see where that actually comes from. And then, have you ever noticed that a lot of times you kind of expect the movie to be not as good because you're so familiar with all the references to it throughout pop culture, and you're like, well, I know everything that happens and you're completely surprised by it
1: still. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't normally know as much as I think I might. And mm. it's sometimes it's almost like, you know, when you have a dream and you wake up and the dream is kind of on the tip of your brain and you can't recall what the dream is about. It, it's kind of like that. It's when it comes down to it, you think, you know, but really you might know one or two facts. So we tend to list these kind of details that we can recall um but as an example uh i watched um it's a podcast we'll be having coming out at some point the seven-year itch and okay. that film features a really famous uh Marilyn Monroe standing over the um try like i was gonna say the tube but <laughs> <laughs> it's the yeah, it's, it's the, the great subway the subway, yeah, the subway yeah. great yeah. yeah
0: um
1: and you know and when you actually see it in the movie it's of course a pretty old film and I think sensibilities were a bit different then. And in my head, I've got this image of what that shot was. And actually the shot on the front of the I don't know, the DVD or whatever, is her having her skirt blown up mm. on on the perhaps on the UK version, I don't know about everywhere. But and that's the image I expected to see. And in the movie, they don't even show it, really. They don't show her because it's it's pretty Titillating, I guess. What it was deemed to be too titillating. So you, you get the impression of the of the skirt blowing up, but you don't see a whole body shot. You see sort of below the legs, and then from down from the head down to the waist, and then and then you know the the shot is cut off there. So it's skirting the, if you pardon the pun, <laughs> the, the sensibilities of the time. And it was really interesting. Like, wow, is that it? I I thought in my brain I'd seen I'd probably seen parodies of it, and there was that really terrible film. Um, with Lindsay Lohan, what was it called? Um, oh, oh it's one of these te- horrible, like, uh, my memory is terrible. You'll learn this pretty quickly. Um, it was some kind of, you know, when they do these, like, th- uh, 300 Spartans movies right. and oh, yeah, yeah. things like that. Yeah. It was something to do with apps. It was something to do, like, a guy had an iPad. He was okay. Looking at apps on his iPad. Oh, some that sounds
0: crazy app. familiar. I... Yeah, it's
1: gonna. And there's probably listeners screaming. Yeah. Down their ear now. Um, but anyway, don't seek it out. It's terrible. Don't waste your time. But my point, anyway, <laughs> was that I think I've seen, you know, maybe commercials and and various things where they've got some other actress to play it, and they've done like a much more gratuitous, like up the skirt mm. kind of shot um and that's what it comes down to you know these things that you think you know and you think you expect you're often surprised and not always because you know it's just at the time they they had different sensibilities it might be just it's not what you think it was
0: yeah and i mean even something that you're familiar with a specific scene going around the internet that is straight from that movie plays completely differently in the context of the whole movie i know you guys did an episode on the great dictator and that's right that that speech at the end is you know pretty iconic and especially being in the states with this election cycle and everything that's going on here i see that a lot on my facebook that you know four minute speech he has at the end and i we also did an episode on the great dictator but in the context of the movie it's so much more powerful
1: yeah i agree because there's like you say there's so many scenes that will affect you because i mean a big thing for me that i That will impress me about a movie, which is probably no surprise to anyone, is if it emotionally sort of resonates with me. If it, you know, elicits laughter or uh, tears, is the best one. If you, if a movie can get me to try, uh, sorry, a movie can get me to cry, then I'm like, oh yeah, that was great. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, (laughs) you know, because it's really touched you that deeply, and it's like you say, you can see a scene on YouTube or whatever, but. It's when, like, for example, Gone with the Wind, I mean, Gone with the Wind is a pretty t- kind of cheesy, sweeping drama, but there there were some, when you've, when you've spent four hours with these characters and at the end, uh, you know, spoilers, they, they can't get it together. Um, it is really moving, but it's because of the time you spent and the characterization in that movie is so good that, mm. for me anyway, when I got to that point, it was, yeah, yeah, this is, I totally, I mean, it's also experiences with, with, within my own life. I mean, I've got children, so any kind of, like, father-son, father-daughter stuff gets me generally all the time. Like the Flash TV series, it's I'm always like, I think <laughs> I ate something a bit spicy, you know. Um, Big Fish, did you yeah, fish so... one of those for
0: you as well?
1: No, it wasn't actually. Really? Really yeah but i know what you're saying it's that it's that but for whatever i'm not a big tim burton fan i have to say
0: yeah that makes sense so what are some of your favorite films not necessarily that you've seen on the podcast although i I would like to come back to Mm. that question just in general like what are your sensibilities
1: okay i mean i like films with an element of humor to them okay um my taste has changed a lot when i was younger like in my mid-20s everything had to be serious and sort of uh kind of like, you know, like Nolan's Batverse, mm-hmm. kind of gritty and almost like the way they've gone now with the DC Universe movies. That would be, you know, I wanted everything to be serious and treated seriously. And as I get older, I'm starting to think, oh, I don't need that. <laughs> Life's serious enough. You know, I want to have a laugh. and But I think I've always liked at least an element of humour in the films. And I, I don't like it when they take things too seriously. At the same time, there's the other side of that where things get too campy and silly. So somewhere in the middle, uh, I like kind of light action and I don't know. It's hard to really say it's, I take films, uh, as I see them, I suppose. I don't like to prejudge too much. Um, I won't generally seek out period dramas or, you know, what, what most people would call chick flicks and stuff. That's perhaps a bit prejudiced, but, That's the way it is, you know, but I've seen a few that I like, you know, like bring it on. I think it's fantastic. Um, but my favorite movie of all time is one that probably virtually no one has heard of. And it's not because it's some obscure, like Scandinavian film from the seventies. It's a film called, uh, well, I always have to pronounce it as Stander, but it's probably most people would say Stander, And it's about, uh, it's a biopic starring Thomas Jane, um, set in sort of apartheid South Africa. Um, and it's about this guy called Andre Stander, who was a very promising South African police captain who became disillusioned with apartheid and how they would put down the sort of indigenous people there. And he ended up, through a series of circumstances, to get back at the system. He became a bank robber, and he became one of the most successful bank robbers ever in South Africa. And he became almost like a folk hero, like a Robin Hood type. Not that I think he actually, like, robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. I think he kept the money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but um, you know, he was a kind of hero. And it's just, for me, the perfect mix of humour, action, serious drama, and believability. And it, it's strange because the film itself has to rein things in because the true story is insane it's he would do things like rob a bank next to the headquarters of the task force set up to take him down just to prove (laughs) that he could do it he um his getaway car was a i think it was a porsche 911 it was one of only four porsches in the country at the time and it was the only yellow one (laughs) so The film shows most of that, but there are some things that they had to change because no one would have believed they actually happened. So they made them less um, outrageous because they thought, no, that that would just be silly.
0: Oh, that is crazy. I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds right up my alley.
1: It's a brilliant film. It's really strange. It's directed by a woman called Bronwyn Hughes, who previously directed Harriet the Spy. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's a bit strange. Um, And it stars a guy. I don't know if you know Dexter Fletcher. You mm-hmm. might know him from things like Lockstock. Um, oh, okay. And also Deborah Unger is in it. She's really good. Okay. And there's I like also, Jane a lot. yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Thomas Jane. I think he's done a fair few clunkers, but there's something about him that really, I think he has almost missed the boat. I think he could have been a really big actor. Not to say, I mean, he is, but you know what I'm saying, like right. a real A-lister. Right. And I think he was just one of these people that for some reason just didn't, didn't find the right project or perhaps cause he's that little bit older. Now it, it may not happen in the same way, but I think he's a, he's a guy that will draw me to a film. And if you've seen the Punisher movie, I have. the the, ca- the character that he plays in the beginning, you now he's kind of wearing that white suit and talking in a South African accent. Mm. That is basically the voice he uses for Andre Stander, huh. Cause I think the Punisher was the next film that he did.
0: Okay. That, so it predates the Punisher because that's what I know him from the most. Yeah,
1: I think it is just. I think it's the movie he did just before the Punisher, or maybe it was the one just after. I can't quite remember. Okay. but that links that links the two films. His funny South African accent.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry, cool.
1: his, his very excellent and accurate. South
0: <laughs> I'm sure it is. When you said Thomas James is playing not a bad. South African, not... I was like, all right. <laughs> cool um what are some of the best films you've seen on the podcast so far what has really stuck with you
1: uh rear window i was blown away by Mm. i just thought i mean obviously hitchcock i've got a lot of respect for anyway but i'd never seen that and it is just it's brilliant in in the way that it's the comedy is great grace kelly it's the first real grace kelly film that i'd seen and she blew me away so I'm looking forward to watching more Grace Kelly films. Have
0: you seen To Catch um, a Thief?
1: No, no. I just so watched that like two list. weeks
0: ago for the first time. And it is really? fantastic. It's so good.
1: Okay. I'm a little bit in love with Grace Kelly, I think.
0: Okay. Now. yeah. Then there is plenty of Grace Kelly in that movie yeah. then.
1: Sadly, I'm not a prince of my own sovereign nation and she's dead. So <laughs> it's true. I don't think so
0: yeah, much not. further. It's probably not going to work out.
1: No. Yeah, I've um, never
0: seen Rear Window,
1: actually. Oh, yeah, you've got to see it. It's, it's just absolutely brilliant. And what I love about it is, I mean, I won't spoil it for you, but you're probably aware that it's been parodied so many times. Any long-running TV series almost has a parody of Rear Window, which is someone hurts himself in some way, maybe breaks a leg, which is what he does in the movie, J- James Stewart I'm talking about. Right. Um, and then they look across their wherever they're living, like across the street and they see a crime or a, in this case, a murder. And then it unravels from there. And usually um, it turns out they're wrong in some way, but I'll leave it there. But, but it confounded my expectations. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And this is one of the things that I really love about watching classic films is that I feel films now have become so formulaic that you can generally see what's coming and what's going to happen and films back then it wasn't necessarily that they weren't formulaic but the formula was different and i'm not familiar with that formula so they surprised me so much because i I just don't know what to expect and and the storytelling has evolved and not necessarily always for the better Mm. but it's just different and, and it's great to watch these old movies and just have no idea where things are going to go because, you know, there was a just different attitude, I guess. Then there was a different expectation from audiences and you get a lot more, I don't know, kind of downbeat endings than perhaps you do now or at least endings that don't resolve in the same way as you do. So that's really exciting for me.
0: Yeah, I, I think part of it is they're, you know, they're so close to the silent era And in the silent era, you pretty much had to rely strictly on visual storytelling. So you see a lot more visual storytelling happening in, say, like a Hitchcock movie or um, something from the 30s when talkies are just becoming a thing because they don't have the dialogue to lean on as heavily. And so I think we've kind of lost that a little bit Um, for my podcast uh, this week. I. I'm actually, as soon as we're done with this interview, I'm going to see the second Ninja Turtles movie.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) And for the uh, the podcast, or just for my own weird uh, sort of uh, completionist mentality, I watched the first one from 2014. Yeah. And there's no visual storytelling in that movie whatsoever. It's just people standing around talking, and that's how information is revealed for you, and it's super
1: boring. Yeah, because that's what kids want, right?
0: yeah yeah they want to watch uh these hulking turtles just stand around and stare at someone who's talking and then it goes to a flashback where they're not even around
1: i mean i remember when i was a kid and i used to catch um star trek the next generation Mm. and i hated that show it's one of those shows that i don't know if you used to do this but you would watch because there was nothing on because when i was a kid we only had four channels in the uk Mm -hmm. and uh yeah there would just be tv shows that you would have to get through to get to the next good tv show so you know i mean i should have obviously gone out and like ridden a bike or climbed a tree or something like that but that was not (laughs) me yeah Um, that
0: definitely was not gonna cross my mind as a child so
1: no so um but i used to watch it going what is this it's just i love science fiction and i've always been like captivated by it but i'm like this is just people stood in a boardroom talking but it's just that that boardroom happens to be on a spaceship and I, you know, and I, I went back to it not so long ago, maybe sort of five years ago and just out of boredom. Maybe I thought, Oh, I see what this is like. I'd watch the documentary or something and I could not get enough of it because my taste that ha- had evolved to the point where I was like, yeah, they are stood around talking, but what they're talking about is amazing. And the way the, the diplomacy that's applied and the the hope for humanity and this sort of positive ideal for Humanity in the future instead of the usual dystopian thing. I loved it, but it's just that spin. And again, for young children, if you're aiming your, your thing at young children, why would you want to stand around in a room? Like the Star Wars prequels, they're just dudes stood in like throne rooms talking about trade agreements. And it's like, then George Lucas said, Oh, yeah, you wouldn't like these films because they're for kids. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I am a prequels apologist. Uh, it's well established <laughs> on the, the podcast that I yeah. uh, there are problems with them for sure, but I think they tell an overarching story that I really like in connection with the, uh, you know, the quote good three.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's the there are elements of them that I like, and and I think it was just if they'd have cut out all the bullshit <laughs> <laughs> with the like the trade agreements and that kind of stuff. I mean, it didn't make any sense anyway. I think if it was a compelling story for adults, you know, that was kind of I don't know uh, a commentary on what's going on between the U.S. and Cuba or something like that. I don't think there's really a place for that, and that that if you're doing that, then you're you're kind of looking to date your film. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see uh, it's one of these things. I'm not gonna uh, criticize someone for what they like, really, not too much anyway. But yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't I actually saw I remember Phantom Menace in the United States um and I was so amazed to see it you know before anyway I think we, it was like 6 weeks before it came out in the UK Oh
0: wow um, I did not know and that. I saw
1: it in some tiny yeah I saw it in some sort of like tiny cinema in Wisconsin so it wasn't probably the best experience anyway but I cannot recall what my response was I don't remember if I came out of there going Oh, that was good. Or, I mean, I would guess my kind of critical 18 year old self is probably not all the, all, all, pleased with it. But I don't have a strong memory. But, uh, yeah, things have changed a bit now. So we tend to get films, uh, at the same time now. Or if not, it's weird. We get, I, I went to see, uh, the new Star Wars, Star Wars 7.
0: Yeah.
1: About three, three days, I think, before it came out in the States. Cause mm-hmm. for some reason it got released in Belgium before anywhere else.
0: Yeah, and uh, Captain America came out like two or three weeks before we got it over here.
1: Yes, because I would imagine, you know, something like James Bond, that's fine. We should get yeah. that first. Yeah, 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 But a Captain America film, I mean... It's in the but... title! <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I was... Uh, do you know what, though? I really... Uh, not to go too much off track, but I, I really enjoyed it. it, it I've not long seen it, um, but it hasn't... I like to bed things in before I... Uh, have too strong an opinion on them because things like like the new Star Wars I was not a huge fan. I recognise the great things about it. But yeah, I've come away because I was starting, as a huge comic book fan myself, I was starting to get a bit fed up of comic book movies because it's weird. It's what I've always dreamed of and it's finally <laughs> here and the technology is at a level where we can put this stuff on the screen and it doesn't look stupid. <laughs> right, But with all that, I was like, oh, not another. You know, when, when you were getting like Avengers 2 and it was just like the same old stuff and Ant Man, yeah, it was okay. Um, But it's renewed. I cannot wait now. And I'm like, going, wow, there's how many? There's only like, what, Doctor Strange? And then it's like, we have to wait a year for the next one. So, yeah. Well,
0: we get Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in February of next I love,
1: year. I love Guardians of the Galaxy so much. I think that might be my top Marvel movie. Mm. It might actually. We be captain america 3 but it's too soon to judge
0: yeah i think mine is captain america 2 i really really like that
1: movie I I lot because that's very 70s kind of style isn't it like a it's like a spy thriller
0: yeah i mean just by virtue of having robert redford in there it's like oh this is exactly okay we know exactly what kind of movie you're going for here this is one of those paranoid like all the president's men uh parallax view type thrillers
1: because see, if we could go back in time and pull an actor, I would definitely have Robert Redford, like a maybe like a thirty-two-year-old Robert Redford, playing Matt Murdock.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I have you guys done much Robert Redford? Or have you seen him in much stuff?
1: Uh, well, I don't think because we, I guess we would probably do Butch Cassidy, um, mm. but we no, we haven't yet. But I have this kind of reasonably arbitrary rule of we don't do any post 1970 films so we only do 1969 and before and the only reason i i picked that was because i was born in 1980 and i've seen most films from that time on and gone back to the 70s as well and it's that's where the sort of gap in my uh in my in my film knowledge goes is before that um we'll probably do it in the future when we start running out of the really big name films but uh yeah so no robert Redford hasn't featured yet but hopefully like i say, there'll be a couple
0: yeah have you seen um the sting
1: uh i no i haven't actually oh that's i have a... to be honest there's a few films that i have in my youth try to watch because they're supposed to be you know, brilliant. And then got bored off in the first 20 minutes. Mm. So I think Sting and Which Cassidy were both films that I watched for maybe like 10, 20 minutes and turn them off. Okay. But uh, I will certainly be going back to them. There's people now in uproar, I'm sure, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> calling me a Philistine and so on. But I, <laughs> I you know, I wear it on my sleeve. I, I'm one of these people, I will say that there is a part of me that goes, oh, black and white, <laughs> subtitles, ah, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah
0: i understand and i mean i've i've forced myself like i forced myself to watch um oh gosh uh the 400 blows
1: Oh okay yeah
0: and you know it's it's sort of this it's got this stigma around it because it's like oh it's this french movie from the 50s mm-hmm. it's in black and white and it kicked off sort of the french new yeah. wave which is the go-to like pretentious hipster character talks about mm-hmm. not see watching nothing but french new wave movies and I watched it, and I was like, oh, it's just boyhood with subtitles in the 50s.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is it? Tra- if it's a great movie, it just transcends everything. Mm-hmm. It's like one of my favorite films that we've done was uh, Buster Keaton's The General. So good. So we just
0: did
1: that one. Oh, I love it. Actually, looking through the list of films that you've done, we've done quite a few of them. And there's some that you've done that we've already recorded, but not released yet. Mm-hmm. So there is a big crossover. But yeah, the ge- I mean, if your listeners have not seen the general It is absolutely super. If you want an introduction to silent film um, or, or you even thinking, in oh, a silent film, I can't be bothered with that. Give the general a chance because it is absolutely captivating. It's like watching Jackie Chan, if not better than that. Um, and it's just an example of like you were saying, amazing visual storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the thing with Buster Keaton too, is he tried to keep his title cards count low specifically Mm -hmm. so that you could see more action on the screen and there are set pieces of that movie that go on for like almost 20-25 minutes it seems like
1: and it's the stunts though it's just when you watch this stuff because the thing that we do in our podcast is i try not to give a film credence for so what what i won't do is say oh well that wasn't very good but for the time it was you know so if Hmm. there's a terrible special effect. I, I, The point that I'm trying to do is I'm judging these old films through modern eyes. So am I going to watch them and think, oh, this is okay? And I'll give you an example. Like, think of like the first Star Trek movie Mm -hmm. or um, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Those are, well, one of those is a really renowned film and one of them kind (laughs) of (laughs) sucks. But they are both so languid in their shots of oh you know look at space isn't it amazing and you i mean bearing in mind that star trek was 10 years after if not more but it's just so prolonged and you get these shots that go on and on forever and it's so dull to watch now um but obviously at the time it was probably amazing you probably were sat in the cinema going whoa look at all this Whereas now we've seen all that stuff a million times. It's not all that interesting. And I would almost take marks away when judging it now because I'm I'm talking about it with, with my modern eyes and I'm not going to sit through something that's really dull go, oh yeah, but in the 1930s that was really hard to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, objectively, yeah, you have to recognize that and we do talk about that in the podcast. But when it comes to actually rating it, I'm trying to say, Would I recommend this to another person to watch now? And will I, you know, kind of get behind it and enthuse about it? Maybe not for that reason, you know?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I even, I mean, the first time I saw, I I tried to watch Alien. I was too young to comprehend it. And there's a lot of long shots. And for a long time, I just called that movie the movie where it's long shots of stuff doing stuff. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, here's three and a half minutes of docking. And things like that. Watching it now, it's like one of my favorite horror thrillers of all time. But yeah, to, you know, 16-year-old MJ, it was like, oh, this is just, there's nothing going on. It's just stuff doing stuff. And I've seen it do this my whole life, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, as you get older, perhaps, you might have, because whereas see 2001, I don't really appreciate those long shots, mm-hmm. you know, that I I mean, I guess, you know, they're eliciting sort of the majesty of space and so on, but it doesn't really resonate with me. Whereas now, Alien, the the length of those shots, it's ramping up the sort of tension and the creepiness yes. and the expectation of where the alien's gonna strike. So that serves the film really well and it that's what makes it timeless, I think, for me.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And to get to kind of rewind a little bit and talk about, you know, you were you were saying you look at stuff and go, Well, yeah, objectively in nineteen thirty or whatever, it was hard to pull this off, but hmm now it plays kind of dumb or kind of silly or just kind of dull or boring. How do you do that with sort of the, you know, the social stuff that's uh, not quite as progressed as maybe it is now? You know, there's even the general, like it's a pro civil war, like the South. Um, I don't, I don't think that that's the overall message of the movie, but his character is Mm. fighting to still keep his slaves You know, and it's a great movie, but it's also like, well, we kind of have to talk about that.
1: I mean, because that you've hit the nail right on the head because I said this during this podcast and I was like, why am I watching a film that is on the side of the people that are behind slavery? (laughs) I'm like, you know, this seems crazy to me. But also you think about it contextually, it was made in one like 1939. Mm -hmm. So that's a considerable amount of time after the Emancipation Proclamation. And by now we should all know that that's a bad thing. And like you say, I mean, I'm not suggesting that the film was putting the message across that slavery is a good thing, but it, it seems strange, but they still pulled it off somehow. Um, and I think it's interesting. I mean, it was set in a, in a, in a world where most of these slaves seem to get on really well with their masters and there wasn't any abuse um which i mean okay in small pockets perhaps that did actually happen and if you're going to make a film like that then you will probably want to set it with a family who treat their slaves well and aren't all about slavery but yeah it's interesting and and, i mean we come across mostly um misogyny so Mm -hmm. the the very kind of poor representation of women And I have to say, there's not been a huge amount of racism in the films I've seen, surprisingly. um, More underrepresentation of sort of ethnic uh, minorities and things like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, one of the things we want to do, we have this this segment called the Before and After Show Film School, where we kind of talk about film history or film structure. And that's what we did the general for. And one of the movies that I keep struggling with is, do we because you know, we want to talk about important movies in the history of cinema, do we do Birth of the Nation?
1: Right, okay, yeah. Because That's another interesting thing, though, is there are a lot of movies that are very famous because they are a stepping point in cinema history. So they right. do something fresh, either narratively or a type of shot, or, you know, something that was never seen or heard of before and have become iconic. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the whole piece of media is all that great. Um, but you kind of has to acknowledge that they've done something clever. Uh, but often the, the issue with looking backwards is that very iconic thing has been copied, parodied, refined. So when you look back at the original, it's not as impressive as it once was but you kind of have to accept that it was important and whoever created it was kind of a genius you know
0: yeah definitely um kind of to steer away from from what we've been talking about um and maybe this is a question i should have asked at the beginning of the interview what what is it that got you into movies like what what ignited that fire of like oh i have to go talk about these on the internet to strangers
1: it's it's really difficult for me to answer that i think It's obviously to do with escapism. Um, I think it's... um, I was always into comic books as a child, Mm. and I love the kind of sense of morality and right and wrong, and films tend to deal with that a lot. I think there's a lot of characters in films with more integrity than anyone you would ever meet in real life. Um, And it's, it's very... I don't know. It's just sitting in a cinema and watching a film for the first time is just such a unique experience. It's something I love and I absolutely love talking about films. I think it's because a good film is basically something that you will think about for a few days. There are films that I don't like that still will resonate with me for you know a couple of weeks where mm-hmm. I'll keep going back to it and pondering on the things it's raised. And I suppose it's just reflective of life. It's it, it enables you to see situations that you perhaps wouldn't encounter in your own life and think, what would I do in that situation? What should be done in that situation? What is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? Um, but no, it's a great question, but very difficult to answer because, I mean, movies are such a part of my life. And obviously, you know, growing up, uh being born in in the 80s i mean it was there all the time it was a babysitter a friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um and you also sometimes you know you use uh films um, and tv and music for certain things you know like maybe if you're feeling sad you want to watch a sad movie or if you're feeling sad you want to be cheered up so you watch a funny movie or you listen to a jaunty song or or that kind of thing
0: yeah yeah i agree and i definitely have those movies you know for moods or even illness like i i have my sick movie my go-to sick movie it just makes me feel better even though it's no you know it's not medicine at all but there's something comforting about it that you can sit back and watch it when you're sick
1: so what's your comfort blanket movie maverick really yeah okay
0: yep what is yours
1: Oh, that's a, I've, it's not something I really thought about. um What would that be? I think it would be something like Groundhog Day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just something that I've seen so many times, and I know I'm not going to be disappointed. It's kind of yeah. like you know when people go on holiday, or let's say vacation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm always conscious because early on, like I said, the word commercial, and I would never say that. I would say advert um <laughs> but sometimes wouldn't. i'm like it's kind of condescending i suppose i'm like pitching it to an american person so. <laughs> No,
0: but anyway i um, think it'll
1: be fine yeah uh what was i saying oh um talking about something that i watch so yeah when you go on holiday i always like wonder those people that go back to the same place year after year i'm like why would you do that when there's a whole world to experience? Like why go to this one pocket of the universe when you can have new experiences? Well, I guess as you get older, you realize, Oh yeah, you only get one holiday a year and it's really expensive. And, uh, I want it to be guaranteed to be good. And the last two years I went to, I don't know, Florida and I loved it. So let's do that again because otherwise we might go to Tunisia and it sucks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or I mean, even if you're if you're on vacation somewhere and you eat at a chain restaurant, you know? Yeah. It's like, why would you do that? There's so much good local food to have. Yeah. Um, you know, we we were in Nashville for our honeymoon and we had Thanksgiving dinner at the Hard Rock Cafe. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think um I mean clearly there's no right or wrong way to answer that uh question, but I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like there's so many functions of movies, you know, Mm. they can exist purely as entertainment. They can exist purely as commentary on whatever's going on socially. They can, and and, you know, that's how they exist in the vacuum of the text itself. But then even within that, they mean something different to every single person who watches them. You know, everyone watches it from a different perspective. Mm. And I love that. You know, I love going to the movies by myself sometimes And just realizing, like, I'm going on this journey with a group of people that I don't even know. And we'll be at different spots at the end of it. I love that feeling.
1: I love it when you have an experience in a movie theater where it's a shared thing. It happens rarely for me. I don't know what it's like in America, but I'm kind of guessing. But, you know, Europeans and British people particularly... I would say are more like emotionally reserved. Mm. Like I find that like, um, Americans will probably be, I don't know, like say for an example, a concert or something like that. I, I, I get, maybe this is a bit prejudice on my side, but i would get the impression that Americans are more likely to hoot and holler and sort of show their appreciation. Whereas British people would probably be more likely to say, you know, give it a little cap. Oh yes. Rather good. Rather good. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, I have rarely had this experience, but I remember going to see, I think it was Scream 2. Okay. And it's just a brilliant, like everyone was up for it because there's, I think because there's that scene in a cinema, Mm -hmm. it kind of resonated with everyone a lot more and there was this vibe and when everyone, you know, when there was a jump scare, some woman would scream in the audience and everyone would laugh and it's just a fantastic experience to share it collectively with a group of strangers
0: yeah i um there's a question i want to ask you about that but i one of my favorite movie going experiences of all time was the sam raimi movie drag me to hell
1: oh okay yeah
0: um i saw it at i don't know if you guys have discount theaters over there but we have discount theaters here where no not really after a movie does its initial run it goes to this discount Mm -hmm. theater and we can go see them for like a buck fifty and, oh, that's cool yeah it's usually like right before it comes out on dvd and sometimes into the dvd release you can go catch them you know it's like a crappy rundown theater but you can still see it in, on a big screen for yeah. you know a buck buck 50 and we saw drag me to hell there and there was this one woman who anytime the movie got scary and it's a horror comedy so it's not that scary but anytime yeah. it even got a little bit tense there's this black lady who would just scream oh shit <laughs> and it was never not the funniest thing I've ever had happen yeah. to me. And everyone, there was a vibe in the theater, like you said, um, where everyone was just on board and no one was mad at this lady screaming, oh shit, super loud during this movie. We we enjoyed it. We, uh, you know, took it in and it was part of the experience for us. And I love that. Yeah. Um,
1: I went to this, sorry, uh, I, I went to this movie night in, in London once actually where, they would do like themed nights. So the night that I went, it was pink and blue and they were showing, they had two screens. So you, you would go in, you go to the box office and they'd say, which movie do you want to see? And you pick one of the two you pay, you go down the stairs into the lobby. And then you had one cinema on either side of the lobby and then a bar in the middle. And with your ticket, you could then get a pink or a blue cocktail. And then on this particular night, you could see either P- pretty in pink or, blue velvet and <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah and uh of course we picked blue velvet right. and then after the cocktail i was like do you really want to see blue velvet uh, i mean and then <laughs> the discussion went and changed and was like yeah i'm more of a pretty in pink mood i think <laughs> and then we went in and it was this kind of hosted night so there was these two people came up and they'd kick- stood at the front of the screen They it you know they're saying like oh you know welcome to this night run by blah 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 and we try and they kind of explain the concept and all that and then they had a competition where obviously they ran this this is my first one but they ran this thing a lot and people had come in costume and they gave out prizes for the costume and it was just a real experience and then we watched the film and because when watching a film that was like 25 years old or whatever at the time um Nobody cared if people shouted things out or you missed a bit because someone was laughing too loud or trying to be funny and shout a line. It was an amazing thing to to be a part of. And then at the end, you know, there was kind of things and people would just chat in the cinema after the film was over who'd never met. And I was, I think that's what cinemas need to do more is make it more of an experience, but make it a social experience, not a kind of crazy or you know like 3D and ad smell a vision and things like that i think that's the wrong path they need to make it an event like because it used to be you know with your intermission and your truck ices and things like that i think we've moved away from that now and it's i know it's obviously practical like they want to get more showings and make more money but i feel like they should bring down the price of popcorn make it really cheap and you know i'll go to the cinema I don't know, not, not that often really because of the price, like not with a family anyway. I'll go myself, but I've got two children and I will very rarely take them because it's so expensive for kind of four people to go and buy popcorn and stuff like that. We'll go maybe once every six months, if something like that. Um, whereas if it was affordable and the popcorn costed like a couple of pounds or whatever instead of the exorbitant amount and like you're paying for, a, sugar and water right. and it's the earth you know <laughs> i just think i would go every week i would support the cinema more um because it would be a hobby you know rather than a special event that we save up for you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm fortunate enough to live just north of la and yeah we have that in spades down there you know um mm. there's this one event called cinespia that runs throughout the summer and do you know what the Hollywood Forever Cemetery is? No. So it's a cemetery where all kinds of people are buried. Hitchcock's buried there, actually. Oh, okay. And throughout the summer, almost every Saturday night, they show a movie. And you go and sit in this graveyard <laughs> and watch a movie. And it's not a horror that is movie. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it's not a horror movie. Like last week, they did Singing in the Rain. Um, they're showing yeah. Raising Arizona at the end of this month. And we went last year... And each each year in August for their kind of last... You know, the weather's cooling down so we can't really... It's going to be too cold to show movies. They do a slumber party called Movies All Night. And you go and you stay the night in this graveyard. And they show three movies from 9 p.m. to 4 in the morning. And we saw um, Can't Hardly Wait, Scream 1, and Cruel Intentions. Back to back to back in that graveyard. Crazy, And it was grueling but i also really enjoyed it you know there's food trucks and vendors and um, all kind of stuff going on and and just this huge lawn of people with a a projector a projector projecting a movie onto the side of a mausoleum (laughs) and then you look over and it's like oh that's that's alfred hitchcock's grave what are we doing here
1: yeah i can imagine because it, again talking about the atmosphere i mean everyone's just there to have a good time everyone's mm-hmm. there to just enjoy themselves aren't they and and um because they do a thing in the in london called secret cinema i want where, to do that
0: so bad
1: yeah yeah, yeah i've I... never done it actually but it looks amazing and if people don't know it's it's it, i mean if if you know what promenade theater is so it's basically i don't know say say you've got like they're showing back to the future you'll go to this area which is set up like hill valley in a some sort of costume and then you'll have various actors and st- stuff walking around being people from Hill Valley. Maybe you'll have someone come out who's, who's been Marty McFly and you can just walk around and get involved in stuff that's going on. And this is all just like a, a preamble to the the movie. Um, it's hard to, explain, but definitely look it up. It's amazing. But I, this is the thing is generally in the UK, we lack this sort of stuff. And that's why, again, I was going back to stuff like Austin I mean the alamo draft house sounds like heaven to me
0: oh yeah i uh so uh, there's a weird connection to my hometown and the alamo draft house they owned a theater here in town that was more of a bar than really a theater it used to be an old okay. movie theater and um there was there was a, a drive-by shooting at the theater so they actually had co- it incurred a lot of costs obviously and they had to sell it and uh they sold it and then moved to austin and started the alamo draft house And they do uh, this thing at the Alamo Draft House called the Rolling Road Show, where they Mm -hmm. will pick a theme for the summer, travel around, and show movies that fit the theme in the locations where those movies take place. And so near where I live, um, you know the, the movie North by Northwest when he gets chased by the plane? Yeah. They filmed that right outside my hometown. And so... That was one of the things they did is they showed North by Northwest in the field that they filmed that. (laughs) Uh, The one I went to, they showed there will be blood at a local museum because Mm -hmm. the movie takes place in, in and around my hometown. And they used a lot of the archives from the oil museum here in Bakersfield to kind of fill in the gaps as far as historical stuff. And I went to that one and it was crazy they, you know, you would see the movie, and then you would see all this old-timey oil drilling equipment, and you would look to the left, and there it was, right there, the actual equipment. <laughs> and they did a milkshake drinking contest, where whoever won won one of the bowling pins from the end of the movie. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not. I assume you 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 have. But yeah. uh, there's, you know, he they had the the pin that Daniel Day-Lewis used to beat Paul Dano's character to death, and oh, someone. Right. Someone won that by drinking a milkshake out of a long straw. Yeah, um, and it was it was so Actually, much fun.
1: I have to admit that um, "There Will Be Blood" was one of these films that I saw the trailer for, looked at the trailer, and thought that looks like the most boring load of old nonsense <laughs> ever. And like everyone around me is going, "Oh, we've got to see that," and I was like, "Really? That looks so dull." And then um, I eventually thought, "Wow, well, there must be something in this. Watched it, watched it for about 15 minutes and turned it off because nothing had happened. And I've seen this talk to other people and they go, uh, well, yeah, that is true. Nothing does really happen. There's no dialogue or anything for about 20 minutes. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but it's one. It's one I'll definitely have to go back to.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is. It's not for everyone. And I don't even necessarily know if it's a movie for me. I don't know if I do actually like the movie, but it's so—it's such a singular vision and so yeah. unapologetic about how not for everyone it is—that I kind of have to right. respect it.
1: Yeah, that—I mean, that's cool. Um, because you know, it, it's one of these strange things. I, uh, just quickly, I was going to say, not seen it beyond the first ten minutes. However, I do know that there's a bit in it where he goes, "I drink your milkshake." Yep, and that's what I'm talking about with cultural osmosis. You know, you know these things have happened because you see it parodied in in sort of skit shows and things like that. But uh, I do this thing a lot, by the way. I don't know if you do this, MJ, but I start talking about something, go off on a tangent, and then completely forget what my original point was. Mhm.
0: I totally understand. <laughs> Which is
1: <laughs> kind of what I've done now. <laughs>
0: that's fine. Um, I so on kind of the same wheelhouse. I've noticed here in America, there's there's been this weird divide lately of um, people being not super on board with clapping at the end of a movie. Like, if you go see a movie and people really liked it, they'll clap here in America. I don't know how much of that happens in Europe. But where are you? I mean, if it does happen, are you like, why are you clapping? They're not here to hear you. That's stupid. Why, <laughs> why, why do you? Because that's that's the argument that I hear a lot is, well, the people who made the movie aren't in here. Why are you clapping?
1: Yeah, but again, it's that shared experience. It's Mm -hmm. going. Do you know what this is worthy? I mean, it doesn't happen a lot, as far as I'm aware, in the UK. But it's a very French thing to do. Oh, okay. Um, so it does tend to happen in Europe more. Um, I mean, because I obviously I'm not in France, I'm in Belgium. But Belgium is very sort of French. It's kind of half French in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm probably not explaining it very well, but it's it's kind of it's its culture is primarily made up of um bel uh dutch and french uh input with maybe a bit of german and of course it's its its own thing at the same time as well but a uh, huge french influence here so cinematically as well they have that kind of french outlook on things and yeah it's quite common um i mean i don't think they would clap at something like captain america maybe but a slightly more artful film mm. often uh, yeah you will get that yeah. But I love it. I think it's... What's wrong with it? You know, if people start clapping and I really enjoyed the film, I'll join in. You know, whereas I wouldn't go and watch, I don't know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and try and start a slow clap, you know? <laughs>
0: right. Right. Well, that was that was the, the argument I kind of got got into online, which is never a good idea. Like, don't do that. But, mm. um, you know, it was... Some some website I follow said now, if they could just do something about people who clap at the end of movies. And I was like, I'm getting real tired of people being anti clapping at movies just because the people aren't there to hear you. Doesn't mean you're it's a different signal. Like it takes on a different context when you're in a movie theater. You're saying, hey, fellow human being, I enjoyed going on this experience Mm. with you and having that shared uh, communal thing. And a couple people just responded. uh, Yeah, no one cares what you think. Just pick up your trash and get out. (laughs) And I was but
1: like, I mean, why does it why hurt doing the though? You know? it's like if you don't like it, just sit there with a sour puss face and cross your arms and don't clap. You know, like it's not like it's ruining your experience, really, is it? While why you're watching, because they did actually. When I went to see The Force Awakens, they did clap at the end of that, mm-hmm. and I joined in with it. You know, because I'm like, yeah, that's worthy, and it was. It, was, it, it didn't suck, which is what everyone was worried about. Mm-hmm. That's that's the best thing I'll probably say. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't same, ruined. I I'll understand. give it that, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, let's not get into it. Yeah. Uh... No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> you know what? So, but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I just don't understand. It's like, why criticize someone for. Like, okay, you can have a bit of banter and fun, you know, where you will say, I like. Uh, I love the films of um, Uwe Boll, Okay. Mm. <laughs> I will be surprised to hear that, but if you like it, you like it, who cares? And it's like, if you show that you love a film and you're not interrupting dialogue within the film, w- why <laughs> What yeah. does it matter? Yeah.
0: It's not you like know, these people it's are clapping. Not it's
1: not whole fun. Movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it just, it's so weird to me that someone would be super anti that. And then someone else on that same thread said that the only reason they go to the movies is to avoid spoilers and if they were allowed to purchase the film on Blu-ray that same day, they would just do that instead. And I was like, what? a what? You're so concerned with spoilers. You actively do an activity you hate. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I do not like... I love going to the cinema and seeing trailers and getting excited about the films that are coming out, especially ones I've never heard of. And I think, oh, yeah, that looks good. But at the same time... I really try and avoid like if I'm going to watch it anyway. So if it's like a Marvel movie or something like that, I will not watch the trailer because they put so far too much stuff in it. And I want to be surprised, it. I want to see like, for example, Spider-Man, I would have loved if Spider-Man had cropped up and I had no idea it was in it, but I just couldn't avoid knowing that. And I see why, you know, they're going to put that out there because it might draw in a few extra people that wouldn't have seen it anyway. I don't know if that's true, but right. I can see why they would want it, to. It's kind of cool to go, hey, look, we did it. We did a deal with Sony and we got the character. We've got our character back. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it, I much prefer to go in spoiler free. But it, I feel like you can only really do that with franchises because why would I go and watch, I don't know, the Ethan Hawke film about a World War Two pilot? Because yeah. I know nothing about it. So I'd need to, you know, see something
0: yeah well and with spider-man specifically there was that sony email hack that happened that where they that was part of the email hack was they were in talks for the deal to begin with so it yeah. became public then so at a certain point it was like well might as well just make the all of this public
1: <laughs> true so,
0: yeah um i think that'll wrap it up i don't know uh, Owen. where can they find you on twitter and what's the show and what do you have coming up
1: sure yeah um Well, it's Classic Schmasic, the most difficult-to-pronounce podcast name of all time. Um, (laughs) You can find us on Twitter at C. Schmasic. And check us out in the usual places, Facebook, SoundCloud, that kind of thing. And uh, when does this show go out?
0: Um, When do you need it to go out? It'll probably be in the next couple weeks. Or if there's a specific time you want me to put it up, I can do that.
1: Um, No, not particularly. Um, We've we've basically got a, a range of classic films coming out uh zulu is coming soon so i get to do my michael k impression (laughs) not as much as i would like
0: um that is the one scene in the trip that as an american i was actually able to understand
1: (laughs) oh i have to admit that my michael k i love the bit in the trip and apologies to people you don't know what i'm talking about but check out the trip um two British comedians have a Michael Caine off and there's just one minute that I love where he goes The thing you have to understand about Michael kane is over the years the Bradley the cigars have affected his voice. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's so good. I that was a movie that I heard was incredible and I was like I've I'd seen the Michael Caine bit and it's hilarious <laughs> and i went to watch it and i was like this is too european for me all of <laughs> yeah. these all of these references mean i have to be living in europe and i was like i can understand i guess that it's funny but there is so much europe specific stuff in it that i was yeah. like ah this is not nope i can't deal with this and i turned it off
1: that's the thing because as as a british person i listen to a lot of american um, podcasts and going back further i i consume a huge amount of american media mm-hmm. and so most things i'm familiar with there'll be the odd reference sometimes that i don't get but on the whole i get it and then i'm always amazed when i don't know some kind of british show or something crops up on a podcast and i'm like you're idiots you don't know how do you not know this and i think well they're because they're not you know you're not um exposed to it as much you know yeah. like i know you, you you seem to get a lot more British stuff now than you used to, but, um, yeah, you, you you wouldn't have the frame of reference, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not until very recently that we just got stuff. As far as I know, we just got access to be able to watch the mighty boosh on streaming services. Oh,
1: okay. Great show. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've seen part of it, but I mean, old Greg is actually super popular here in the States. Really? Yeah. I'm old Greg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a super popular sketch here, but I can't tell you anything else about Mighty Boosh besides Old Greg.
1: Do you like Bailey's?
0: I call this one as close as you can get to <laughs> Bailey's without getting your eyes wet.
1: That's pretty good, I have to say. <laughs> well, I the thing I hear about the most that's British is Downton Abbey, which I've never watched and have no interest <laughs> in watching. Uh, oh, and I suppose Sherlock actually, but mm. Doctor Who predominantly, which yeah. I don't like either. <laughs> But my my co-host on Classic Schmastic absolutely loves and used to do a podcast only about Doctor Who. Really? Mm. I
0: it was it was a show that I watched for a while. And then eventually I was like, this probably isn't as good as people say it is. And then stopped watching it.
1: I mean, it's one of those things. It's just inconsistent for me. Mm. Like some some runs are great. like Season six with Matt Smith blew my mind. And then I lost interest in interest in it again and gave up.
0: Yeah, I really liked Christopher Eccleston as Dr. Who uh-huh. I thought he was great. And Miserable he... Dr. Who. Yeah, I really liked that. I I thought I liked I liked like grizzled war hero Dr. Who for some reason. I mean, I guess yeah. it's a very American he's kind of Timothy... thing to like but the Timothy Yeah, Dalton... I think he's
1: like the Timothy Dalton Dr. Who, you know, the <laughs> weird choice. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. But I like Timothy Dalton too, so
1: Oh, I I really like Timothy Dalton. I'm going to have to go back and watch the two Timothy Dalton movies because he was like the Bond from my childhood, really. Mm. And, well, actually, as... See, it was Roger Moore, but at whatever point I developed my insane amount of scepticism and and (laughs) and so on, I was like, oh, this is too cheesy. And when Timothy Dalton came along, I was like, yeah, this is what a murderer, a a sort of paid assassin would really be like. He wouldn't be going... Well, uh, I like a woman who's old enough to have had some experience, but young enough to want some more.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I had not seen the Bond movies until maybe the last two years, and I I have all of them on Blu-ray. I got the fifty-year anniversary Blu-ray, set, uh-huh. and my roommate and I, uh, at the time, we just every Wednesday night we would watch a Bond movie, and we we made it through all of them. And yeah. Yeah, that's one of those franchises that I'm happy to say I completed. <laughs> that's sort of a, you know, kind of a But is a, it What's
1: that? It's kind of an I was just say it's kind of an unparalleled thing. Like there's no other mm-hmm. franchise that exists that is on a par. I would say the closest thing to it is probably the Batman films. Um Godzilla but, maybe? Well, no. I just mean, yeah, I guess yeah, you could say that in a way, but it's a franchise that, for me, it's very much like Doctor Who. Like, I like things about it. I'm fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad it exists. But then when it comes to actually having to sit and watch it, I, I, eh, it's it's so weird that they make one of these films every couple of years and they're not very good. Like, even the best Bond films are just okay. I wouldn't put them up there with, like, any... I'd never say there's a a Bond film that's a true classic movie. Would you?
0: Um, I think Goldfinger might be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think Goldfinger
0: might be. And I, I mean, I'm
1: not um, super familiar.
0: Mm. Um, I think they all,
1: they all kind of blend in together for me because I haven't really watched them since I was a kid. Uh So apart from the Daniel Craig ones, you know, but, um,
0: i think casino royale maybe in a few years like give it a few decades i think that one could probably be a classic but i think we're too close to it having it come out in theaters to really know
1: yeah but i just think even like i really like casino royale um but i still don't think it's that great it's great it's probably one of the better bond films
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but Anyway, I feel like we're going down a whole different rabbit hole now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sorry, I I have never <laughs> talked to uh, someone from Europe about the Bond franchise, and that is like your chief export in pop culture to us. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, as a fan of it, I was like, oh, we should probably touch on this. Well, Owen, thank you for being here. It was great having oh, you.
1: Oh, it's been, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, cool. And uh, be sure to check out uh, Classic Schmasick if only for hearing them pronounce increasingly long uh, movie titles, but also with the schmassic, um, uh inflection on them, because Schmedventures, Schmuffroppin <laughs> should, or whatever, was hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you.
0: Um, yeah, and uh, go check us out on SoundCloud. If you uh, are listening to this, you know how to find us, so listen to us, and hopefully you guys got something out of this i uh, appreciate you for listening and until next time go watch stander